Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, Boris Johnson's Brexiteer takeover. What we've seen tonight is not so much a reshuffle as Boris Johnson hitting Control-Alt-Delete. Are they gearing up for a snap election? And if he asked, said that everybody had to stand for a no-deal Brexit, then of course somebody like me couldn't stand. And will Jeremy Corbyn feel the heat? It is deliver Brexit, unite the country and defeat Jeremy Corbyn. And welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh, and joining me on the hottest day ever is Paul War. Hi, Arj. Hi, Paul. Rachel Wearmouth is uh, also here. Hi, yeah. Hi, Rachel. And we've also got Anna Menon, director of the UK in a Changing Europe think tank. Hello. Hi, Anand. How you doing? All right, Tar. Just point out at this point that Anand is wearing a full suit and tie because he's got standards, despite the weather being 37 I love the weather. degrees outside. Let me put that out there now. And his tie is done up as well, right to the top of the button. Know. You know, Top button done up. He's a master of cool. Yeah, he deserves some sort of medal, I think. Yes, or some lunch, actually, would be nice. Well, Boris Johnson was finally crowned Prime Minister this week and wasted no time in wielding the knife as he dramatically reshaped the Cabinet. 18 ministers were either sacked or quit, and high-profile Brexiteers were promoted to top jobs, including Dominic Raab as Foreign Secretary and Priti Patel as Home Secretary. Even backbench Brexiteer Nigel Evans was surprised at how brutal the reshuffle was. Let's hear from him. Uh, but I've got to say, though, this, this cabinet reshuffle is somewhat more brutal than I thought it was going to be. I thought there may be just some cosmetic surgery. It's not. It's open-heart surgery. And over half the cabinet have now either resigned or been sacked today. That gives Boris a lot of wiggle room to bring in some new faces, and it's going to be very interesting to see which ones of the junior ministers are promoted into the Cabinet later on tonight. Paul, you've been in Westminster a long time. Have you ever seen a reshuffle like it? And just before you answer that question, <laughs> this is where the forfeit for calling oh, Boris Johnson Boris comes in. You've got a choice. We're going to give you a choice. You can either answer this question in the voice of Boris Johnson, oh or you can answer God. it with two marshmallows in your mouth. Oh, marshmallows, <laughs> definitely. JJ, producer's just getting the oh, marshmallows. Oh, good. I like this. Oh, me too. They're not, they're not like monster marshmallows, are they? Oh. I was hoping they'd be... They made me look like a hamster, but anyway. He's putting them in. He does Hello? look like a hamster. That's actually not bad. It's not bad. Okay. Ever seen a reshuffle like this before, Paul? Have I ever seen a reshuffle like this? No, I haven't. He looks like a hamster. <laughs> Listener, you need, you need video evidence. Um, I'm going to take a picture here. <laughs> it's really hard not to eat them, you know. Have I ever seen a reshuffle like this? No, I haven't. Oh, okay, take them out. <laughs> I'm going to eat them. Don't take them out. Well done, well done. Right, You've taken go. that very well. Anyway... It's a good job. I don't like marshmallows, actually. But anyway, have I ever seen a reshuffle like this? No, in a word. Tell you why. Because no prime minister has actually treated a reshuffle like a brand new government. And it is a brand new government. It's it's 
it's not a reshuffle, it's a sort of total reboot of, of government, of, and yet they're in power. It's almost as if Boris Johnson has been the leader of the opposition. He's come in, he's done what leaders of the opposition do, he's talked to the civil service, worked out his machinery of government changes, and he's in power. And it's almost as if there is a new party in power, and that new party is the Brexit party, in my opinion. Uh, you know, the Tory party has become the Brexit party. OK, yeah, there's a majority of the cabinet who are former Remainers. Yeah, we get that. But in the big jobs, the massive jobs, the Dominic Raab job, you know, Priti Patel job, even Rhys Mogg, leader of the Commons, you've got some senior vote leave people who are in there. Uh, and it feels very different. Looking down at that front bench today, it looked like a completely different government, I've got to say. And it's such a peculiar English thing. You can have this amazing, almost revolution, a coup, without any bloodshed. And at the same time, they're on the same side of the house. The, the, the two sides of the house haven't swapped, but it felt like they had almost. It was a really strange feeling seeing Boris at the dispatch box, seeing Patel next to him, seeing Sajid Javid as chancellor, seeing a new chief whip. Everything had changed. It wasn't a tweak at all. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, and, and what do you make of the likes of Dominic Raab and Priti Patel being in those senior roles? Are they reasonable voices on Brexit, do you think? Well, they're the voices that the Prime Minister wants on Brexit, which I think is all that matters at the moment. Uh, it's quite clear to me that whatever he decides to do, he doesn't want to do it with a cacophony in the Cabinet accompanying him. Uh, and that is the first principle of this government. Whether that helps him to achieve anything or not, we'll have to wait and see. But certainly there's going to be a wholly different dynamic because we've got so used to that story, haven't we, that, you know, there's been a cabinet, there are seven different views on how crap it was. Uh, that will change. And I think that in itself will, will change how government feels, how government appears. They, they will, I think, be able to project an aura of competence in in comparison to what went before and, to be frank, in comparison to what is opposite them. We're going to talk about whether, where we're going with Brexit and stuff in a bit, but, I mean, the other side of this reshuffle, Rachel, is that there's a lot of senior, talented Tory MPs on the back benches now and it almost mirrors Labour's position. Yes, that's correct, yeah. There's kind of talk that there'll be kind of a a mirroring of positions on the backbenchers as well between sort of um, Tory MPs and Labour MPs. But um, there's kind of small signs that there may be some kind of reshuffle in the offering offering on the Labour benches as well, but that may be some way off just yet. Um, So, yeah, I guess there's a a very similar feeling in the Labour Party as well. Now, let's be honest, though. I mean, we shouldn't get too misty-eyed about Theresa May's cabinet. There were a lot of duffers there, a lot of bland people. I mean, Jeremy Wright, really, as culture secretary? (laughs) You know, Damien Hines, what did he do at education? So there's a valid case for clearing out a lot of the dead wood. And I think that the Tory party felt that it was overdue. Um, It was not just about Brexit at the end of the day. It's about freshening your image. And that's why I kept thinking it's not just... Brexit, it's about a general election. This is about fattening up the party, making sure it's on its wits, uh, and it's not just about the message to the public. It's about making sure that you look competent. It's about how you look to modern Britain, how you reflect that. And crucially, whether or not you've got a united government, as as Anand said, you know, you've got a prime minister stamping his authority on the government. So you know what they stand for. With Theresa May, you often didn't know what they stood for. Mm. And what do we think of Dominic Cummings? coming back to government as a number 10 top advisor? Well, my first thought was we're going to have an election, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I don't know the guy. I've read quite a lot about him. I watched the tele program about him. But my sense is 
that the notion that he's going to work closely with the civil service in sort of implementing the agenda of Boris Johnson strikes me as slightly fanciful because I don't see how either side is going to tolerate that for very long, to be honest. But I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. But that was my first gut reaction was he is there because he's a good campaigner, which makes me think that someone somewhere is thinking in terms of an election. Yeah, well, well come on. <laughs> it's hard to separate <laughs> the two. The two. Um, Johnson has also been praised for promoting ethnic minority MPs, uh, Javadis Chancellor Patel as Home Secretary. But is this actually a more representative cabinet? It, it's it's definitely a more um, BME cabinet, and he's got a lot of really powerful stories to tell. I mean, uh, all the well, three of the great officers of state are um, now occupied by the child of an immigrant. You know, in Pretty Patel, uh, Home Secretary, in um, Dominic Raab as Foreign Secretary and... Um, Sajid Javid. Sajid Javid, yeah, as Chancellor, of course. Um, but when you look at the kind of broader picture of the Cabinet, it's, it, it's, it is not actually as, as diverse as it would seem. There's just 24% of the MPs in there that are female. There's not one LGBT MP, and uh, 64% of them are privately educated. And 44, 45% went to Oxbridge, which is not exactly representative of the country, I don't think. Does it matter... <laughs> What? People care about this sort of thing, don't they? Especially when it comes to the Tory party. Yeah, I think the Tory party in particular has a sort of yeah. diversity deficit problem. Uh, and, you know, it may... Oh, to be fair to them, though, unlike Labour, Labour tends to put BME people in in areas where there are BME people, whereas the Tories can't do that. So you've got people, certainly whether it's um, Kwasi Kwarteng or whether it's Bin Afalomi, you've got people from ethnic minorities who are in so- solidly white constituencies. You know, you've got... Um, Pretty Patel. Pretty Patel, Sam Jima. You know, and to be fair to them as a party, they've really grasped that. And why not? You know, um, it's, I find that fascinating. They haven't got enough credit for it. And then Sunder Cutwaller has been saying this on Twitter quite uh, you know, eloquently, points out that it's representing, it's, it's not tokenism, it's about meritocracy, the fact that they're getting these good people. Um, now, you can argue about you know, Pretty Patel, but um, most of these other people, you can argue, actually are pretty competent and you might disagree with their views, but actually they're reflecting the fact that the BME community has grown and they've got a second generation and, you know, why not? And yet, and yet, they don't get the vote. Exactly. And what's Which the problem there? Which is interesting, there? isn't it? Exactly. Why is there not, for example, for, for years, as we know, um, the black community um, have been written off by the Tories, but the, the Asian community, it should be a gift. Self-starting, belief in family, all those family mm-hmm. values, all the stuff that actually Tories are supposed to believe in. Um, and yet, constantly, we get this cultural barrier. But maybe it'll be like anti-Semitism. Jewish voters naturally affiliated towards the Labour Party. Asian voters naturally voted to, affiliated towards the Labour Party. Maybe that will t- change. I suspect it won't change until we get an, an Asian Prime Minister on the Tory party, though. Do, do you think it's kind of like that ingrained anti-Tory sentiment that goes back decades in northern communities, sort of industrial areas, Alan, that because of the Tories' history. I can't reflect on this beyond personal prejudice in my own family, I don't think, so maybe I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it is, it has always been, as Paul said, it has always been a curiosity that actually when it comes to values-type issues, and they are front and centre in our politics at the moment, the Tory offer looked like something that should appeal to perhaps the older generation of Asians in this country. Maybe not my generation, certainly not the generation below, but the generation of my parents. Yeah. Uh, it always struck me that 
they weren't attracted by that sort of family family base sort of traditional value kind of pitch uh, on the other hand that generation remember the Monday Club and uh, Enoch Powell and I think that was the more powerful mm. memory for them I think than uh, the sort of more subtle policy messages about values one thing I think does get to people about um, the new cabinet is the privately educated um, element of it 60-64% I think um, if you want to say that you're the party of social mobility and meritocracy you also have to you know bring in all kinds of different talent from different backgrounds and I think if you're just picking from privately educated that doesn't I don't think I don't think people like that you might think cybercrime is something that happens to other people but you'd be wrong stealing data from public wi-fi is one of the easiest ways for hackers to make money to protect yourself from cybercrime use expressvpn ExpressVPN secures your internet browsing by encrypting data and hiding your IP address. With easy-to-use apps, protect your data with three months free at expressvpn.com slash huff. That's expressvpn.com slash huff for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash huff to learn more. straying onto it earlier, but Johnson's opening Downing Street speech was heavy on policy pledges and his commitment to deliver Brexit, no ifs, no buts, by October 31st. Uh, And it quickly led to speculation that he might be planning for a snap election. Let's hear a key section of the speech. The doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong again. The people who bet against Britain are going to lose their shirts because we're going to restore trust in our democracy. And we're going to fulfill the repeated promises of Parliament to the people and come out of the EU on October the 31st. No ifs or buts. Paul, why do people think Boris Johnson is planning for an election? I think because it sounded like a a mini manifesto for for an election. Uh, um, Also because... We hear rumours that they're, you know, raising money and that they're gearing up with Facebook ads. Uh, you know, Labour are definitely preparing for one. So it seems to be in the air. But more importantly, it's the logic of Boris's position, which is, I, I, I do, having heard him today again in the House of Commons, it kind of really underlined it for me that actually there isn't a big subtle Brexit idea that he's got in his back pocket. There isn't a complex solution. There is a very simple brute solution, which is get out and then ask questions later. And that, the only way in which that works in a general election is to do it before Brexit, in my opinion, before we've left. If you do it afterwards, you've got lots of downsides with, you know, no deal. Um, I mean, you could get hammered, the Tory party reputation for competence. Um, Anand's talked about this brilliantly, but, you know, um, all those little things, the queues, the food shortages, medical shortages, crucially, uh, in the NHS, will be horror stories. And no matter how powerful the mainstream media message are, they could be really, really powerful in a general election campaign. He doesn't want that. If you don't want that, then it's so much easier to go in on uh, on a hypothetical. And the hypothetical is, look, I'm going to deliver Brexit. Not giving much detail about it uh, and also trying to swamp the, the Brexit party with just ambition and optimism and all that stuff. So I can see, the more you think about it, the more it looks to me like uh, October 24th general election. Let's say he calls an election, wins it. What then for Brexit? 
Does well, he go for no deal then? Assuming that he's going to leave by or on the 31st of October, uh, yeah, that's the only thing he can do. He can't leave with a deal beforehand, partly because I don't see the sort of deal he's proposing being sellable to the European Union at all. Uh, and he digs himself. I mean, he ties his hands tighter and tighter and tighter every time he opens his mouth because as if what he'd said about the backstop during the campaign, which is no tweaks, no time limits, yesterday he says it's anti-democratic. So he just piles more and more pressure on himself not to accept a tweak. So, And even if he did get another deal, Parliament can't pass the withdrawal agreement bill by the 31st of October. There just aren't enough sitting days left. So even if he achieves what I consider to be virtually impossible, gets the EU to change its mind, gets them to ditch the backstop, comes back in August, the start of September, and says to Parliament, here's a brand new deal, that doesn't mean the Commons and the Lords are going to just wave through what is a very serious piece of basically quasi-constitutional law. Uh, So it might be at that point that he says, look, I've got a deal, give us a couple of extra weeks, no biggie. It might be he tries that. But if he wants to leave by the 31st of October and every single thing he said indicates he does, then the question is, what do you think no deal means? How disruptive do you think no deal is? Yeah. And we, we aren't absolutely certain because it will hinge partly on what the EU do, partly what we do. Uh, little things. For instance, the 1st of November is one of those days in France when lorries aren't allowed on the motorways. Because it's a public holiday weekend. On public holiday weekends, they ban lorries from the motorway. So there is not going to be a massive queue of lorries at Calais on the 1st of November. (laughs) And they're they're doing the same on the Sunday as well. So the Monday won't be too bad. So so these things will happen over time. It will be slow. But the one thing that keeps coming back to me, I've talked to you before about the refinery blockade. But think about Black Wednesday. In real terms, to people who had mortgages, nothing at all happened on Black Wednesday because lenders didn't have time to jack their rates up as our rates went, as the, as the Bank of England's rates went up. So all that happened was we saw this horror story for three or four hours on the telly and at the end of it all, it had no practical effect. And yet, the reputation of the Conservatives for sound economic management took a hammering that lasted for five years. Looking at that, it would be bloody risky to try and do no deal and then have a general election, yeah. I think. So I probably agree with Paul, I think. Yeah. And so do we think he's going for, for no deal and this pledge to deliver on October 31st purely because he wants power, because he wants to win an election soon and get a mandate and he's willing to... I think it's... No, I think it's, more, it's bigger than that. It's more obvious than that with Boris. He wants us to be... He wants to be remembered the guy who took us out of the European Union. Yeah. And he and wants so more marshmallows, doesn't he? Basically, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps doing it. <laughs> I think it is. It's, it's, what you see is what you get. And... It is like Trump. You know, I I wrote a little bit about this today. Everyone kept thinking that Trump would somehow change once he got in the White House. Boy, did he not change. Everyone keeps thinking Boris is going to trim and become a conciliator and he's going to give some of the moderates what they want as soon as he became, became prime minister. It's not happening. And it won't happen, I don't think. It is what you, what you see is what you get. I'm going to lead us out of, out of uh, the European Union. I'm going to go down in history as the guy who did that. And on top of that, if I can then possibly get a few more years to claw back my reputation with some moderate liberal policies, then fair enough. I think that's the game plan. If, if you're looking at ju- just on pure general election terms, the Brexit party's just won the European elections. That their only policy is no deal. No deal is very, very popular with the public. Well, no deal and a national renewal message. And he's just mimicking that, I guess, because it will be very, 
electorate. So you think he's serious about it? You think he'll do it? I don't think he's serious about no deal. I don't think he is. No, but I, I think, think it would be a huge error. Exactly. What does he do then? I think what he'll do is go into a he'll general election, election on the basis of no deal. And then the massive question is, how does he then get off, get off that hook with the punters? Does he then somehow, do, does Europe take fright? Well, so you took no deal in your manifesto, win the election yeah, and do yeah, something no, different? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying how, what does it look like? What does no deal look like? I'm not sure. As you say, there are different versions of yeah. no deal. He might then just go to Europe and say, right, you really need to give me these series of side deals. You need to work out this, that and the other. And, and the fascinating thing will be how that unravels and whether or it will damage him and get in the way, completely as it might well do, of all this other stuff he wants to be remembered for. Can I just say one thing? which is quite important there are no side deals <laughs> yeah I know, I know I mean there are it's worth remembering I like, mean the yeah. EU has put in place a number of measures without consulting us yeah. at the behest yeah. of member states whether it's hauliers or whatever it is to limit the short-term damage of no deal for them. They are not deals with us. We haven't been consulted. We haven't signed them. We'll have no say over how long they last or what they actually say. When the EU thinks that it's hauliers or whoever have adapted enough They'll pull the plug on them. They won't check with us. They will just pull the plug. These aren't deals. These are unilateral contingencies. And that's very, very different. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And the fascinating thing is going to be what happens in Ireland, obviously. You know, he's basically calling the bluff of the Irish and the EU to impose border controls and thinking that somehow he's going to drive some big wedge between Dublin and Brussels. How that plays out, I don't know. But there is fear there in yeah. Ireland about this because, you know, you hear the rumours in Brussels that actually what the Commission is planning isn't they don't want to put a border between the north and south of Ireland. What do they do then? Well, under pressure from the other member states, you might end up checking stuff that comes from the Republic. And that will be politically politically toxic. And you can see why they will not discuss their plans. Yeah. But and and at that point do Ireland not cave in over the backstop? At that then? point we've left. Okay. If we're going back to you know, they were trying to resuscitate the withdrawal agreement, maybe in a, in a chaotic uh, What I would say is, scenario. I think the Irish have their politics too, and it strikes me that the Taoiseach has constructed very carefully a political consensus around the backstop. And whilst, if you were being economically rational, you would say, okay, if you were Ireland, your preference should be the backstop, a time-limited backstop, no deal. I think their preferences because of the politics are the backstop, no deal, a time-limited backstop, which is weird and which might be slightly self-harming, but, I mean, we shouldn't laugh at them for that, should we? Uh, But is the way the politics has made this play out. So it's very, very hard for him politically, I think, to even countenance opening up that negotiation again. And the backstop's popular with businesses and with people in Northern Ireland as well. It's just that we don't hear about it because they only have DUP MPs, really, who are very supportive of Brexit. Oh, it's massively popular. And massively unpopular amongst sections of French business for precisely the reason why it's popular, which is they see it as giving us a comparative advantage. To my mind, though, and the Trump comparison I keep coming back to is because, you know, Boris really, Johnson, really does. <laughs> it's the, it's the ship has <laughs> sailed, Paul. <laughs> Boris Johnson really does um, model himself on, on some of the what he thinks are the, are the legitimate bits of Trumpism, that tapping into people's concerns about you not just being left behind, but also, you know, politically correct language, all that stuff. He thinks he's in tune with the common man in a way the rest of the so-called establishment are. And he thinks he can tap into that to deliver change. But at the same time, I keep coming back to the thing that, that just as Trump, for example, hasn't and won't have built a war with Mexico by the time of the 2020, the, the, the next gen, uh, general election in the States, um, he will get away with that. How will he get away with that? By having actually done various camps on the border, 
uh, stuff that a lot of Democrats would find horrible. But he'll probably be, may well be re-elected despite that. And it might be the case that that's the way Boris is thinking. Just get elected, and then even if you don't somehow deliver the exact version of Brexit thought people thought you were going to get, for example, on uh, immigration, if, say, he increases non-EU immigration um, uh, and EU, EU immigration stays roughly the same, if at the end of this process immigration increases and you're a... a white voter in the north who voted to lower immigration, what are you going to think? Um, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he, he doesn't really care. I also think, when you think of when Tory MPs turned against Theresa May, it was when she sat down with Jeremy Corbyn. And I think if, if Boris Johnson can truly beat Jeremy Corbyn and deliver a big majority for the Conservative Party, he'll have a lot of room to, to renegotiate Brexit or to, to treat, treat Brexit differently altogether even. That's why I think the Tory Remainers, and we'll come on to this about opposition, but I think the Tory Remainers, they've got a big call to make about yeah. what they do. Absolutely. Do, 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 do they, you know, do they stay in the party? Do they go to the Lib Dems? Do they even dare think of some other form of party? Well, do they fear Corbyn and Macdonald more than they fear No Deal? I was talking to one this week and... and they were really genuinely wrestling with this, yeah. and that is going to be really decisive, I think, to the future of Brexit. But um, as you were saying, Rachel, today has given us our first Commons head-to-head between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, uh, and some Labour MPs are already worried about um, the effectiveness of the new Tory leader. Let's hear a bit of Corbyn's response to Johnson's statement. He says he has pluck, nerve and ambition. Our country does not need arm-waving bluster, but competence, seriousness, and after a decade... And after a decade of divisive policies for the few, to focus for once on the interests of the many. Um, What have Labour MPs been telling you after Boris Johnson's repeated... (laughs) Well, um, one MP texted me to say, and I'm sorry about this, where the fuck is Labour? <laughs> they very just feel quite disheartened by um, Corbyn's whole approach today. I think they felt that like him bringing up Pretty Patel's support for the death penalty in the past was just a misnomer. They're, they're worried about the whole strategy generally, I think, trying to demonise. But Boris Johnson kind of plays into his hands in some ways. I think the mood is is, is t- slowly turning against Jeremy Corbyn anyway, particularly over anti-Semitism. Um, I've been told in the last few weeks that there are a lot of MPs gearing up for some kind of confidence vote um, when the EHRC decision comes in, which will be sometime before the end of the year or early next year. So, yeah. But Labour MPs who don't like Corbyn will have probably watched today and thought maybe we need to do that confidence vote a little bit sooner. They might have, although, you know, history tells you that actually that hasn't worked really in the past. <laughs> uh, and, and particularly given that lots of moderate Labour Party members are no longer in the party, you might say that the, the chance of them succeeding has shrunk. But uh, I, I do think the most frustrating thing of Labour, amongst Labour MPs that I've talked to is that Johnson is there for the taking. Yes, you shouldn't underestimate him. Yes, he's, he's, his bluster um, gets him a long way. Yes, he's very cunning in many ways that, that people really do underestimate. But he is, that, that performance there at the dispatch box was actually not a very good one. 
and um, he was all over the place on various bits of detail. And you got the impression that if there was a Labour leader who stood up at the dispatch box opposite him and fought fire with fire and was relentlessly forensic, that they could actually try and lay several gloves on him and make an impact. Uh, You know... That might happen at some point. Who knows? But I think it's that frustration that it's a missed opportunity, that Boris is not invincible, that he can be beaten by the right person. And that's why maybe someone like, you know, Jo Swinson, if she sharpened her act together and, and used completely the fact that she actually is a young, modern, working woman that looks like modern Britain, unlike Boris Johnson, um, and used all that in her favour. Who knows? She was she was a really great contrast today, wasn't she? In terms of all the leaders that got up, yeah. And uh, her her approach was to ask him to actually um, make good on his commitment about EU citizens by backing their Lib Dem bill. So she wanted to tie him immediately to some legislation. She wanted to get him nailed down on detail straight away. And I thought that was quite a smart approach, actually. And in our wacky world, I've seen that uh, Ian Duncan Smith has said uh, we don't need legislation to guarantee these rights. Well, that's the curious thing. It's another example of how Boris is there for the taking. Yeah. Albert Costa, Alberto Costa thought he'd been given this promise yeah. that you're going to get legislation. And yet, when he stood up in the chamber, Boris said he talked about the law uh, as if somehow he was going to go down that route. But then when we were briefed by number 10, no, 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 there isn't any plans. Basically, what he meant was just the registration scheme, the one that we've already got. And you're thinking, well, hold on to it. This is fundamental. Where's your big reveal? I thought there might be a big reveal today, a big strategic move to reach out to those EU citizens because Johnson had said it himself on the steps of number 10. And even on something as basic as that, there's confusion. That's my point. And there's a lot of frustration amongst Labour that he's there for the taking um, if someone's ready to take him apart. Can Corbyn do it? Uh, That's another question completely. I personally don't think he can um, because I don't think he... I think even his best friends know that's not his strength. His strength is trying to be the people's campaigner. You'll see that tonight. There's a classic example of Corbynism today. They're not tabling an unconfidence motion in, in the new Boris Johnson government. What are they doing? They're having a rally outside Parliament to demand a general election and getting as many momentum people as there as possible. And it's the street politics stuff that he really loves. Now... There's two bits to that. One is that, yes, that's playing to his strengths. The other bit is actually it's quite sensible not holding the, the confidence vote this week because you're not going to win it. So there's that Blairite sense of reality on, on the part of Corbyn mixed with a bit of, you know, the campaigner. And it's classic Corbynism. It's a question of getting that balance right. And the proof, obviously, is in the end, is whether or not they defeat Johnson in any election. But a lot of Labour MPs think that's going to be damned hard. I mean, God, who knows? Don't look at me for that. I mean, the polls are all over the place. And yeah. when when you have this situation of four parties looking neck and neck, and slight variations yeah. in numbers and geography can give you actually quite a significant majority on those numbers. So, uh, you know, that is a mugs game. I wouldn't be... I mean, one of the things is remarkably few MPs from either of the two big parties certainly are confident about an, about an election or indeed about holding their seats. And that includes people with what we used to think of as safe majorities mm-hmm. when you look at the, there was a recent um, uh, by-election for Northumbria Police and Crime Commissioner um, the, the just huge atrophy of Labour votes in the North East was remarkable they lost like thousands and thousands even for, even for a by-election um, I think sort of Labour's big emotional pull would be anti-austerity and I think 
Boris very much, Boris Johnson, very Ooh, much rec- recognises that, um, where he's talked about um, levelling up education funding, he's talked about um, hiring more police officers, um, and in, in answer to um, Jeremy Lafroy today during his statement, uh, Lafroy asked about um, creating a, an independent investment bank, which was John McDonald's big idea, um, and Boris Johnson said he endorsed it and referred him to Sajid Javid, so um, I think they're going to very much target that anti-austerity message of Labour's, which is, I mean, Corbyn and the Labour front bench should be worried about that. Mm. It's well, going to be very difficult, to, as Alan says, to call any of that general election now. Well, there's a four-way split. You can see any outcome, really, and that's what a lot of the Corbyn camp are really believe in, because they know, as we've talked about before, unless the Lib Dems get in the high 20s, you know, our system is geared towards the main two parties, and, you know... And a lot will hinge on how the Tory party look in Parliament for the first well for the first couple of weeks and then we have to party conferences after the summer. Because if it turns out to be another war of attrition with their own backbenchers, if he starts to look a bit like Theresa May, then that will give great confidence to the opposition parties. Uh, but if it looks like actually those backbenchers are not doing anything, they might be muttering together on the backbenchers, but that's it. That's a whole different optic where all of a sudden it looks like Boris Johnson is controlling a party that Theresa May couldn't. So, you know, those Tory MPs have got a lot of hard thinking to do over the next four or five weeks, I think, because I think that the future of our politics in the short term hinges on what they do. I think you're right there. Well, unpredictable times ahead. Let's look back uh, in the form of a quiz. Yay! <laughs> and this is, this is the final podcast, nearly the final podcast of the summer, but it's we might have a special next week. Commons people, yeah. us four in a room, yeah. marshmallows yeah. in we'll our mouths. We'll have the special. Yeah. But we might have a special soon. Hopefully we'll have a special soon. Um, yep, yeah, so it's all about 2019 politics, the quiz today. And, it, and this, because it's the last episode before summer recess it's a bumper edition we've got a couple of extra questions good 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 uh so <laughs> question number one what was the majority against Theresa may's brexit deal in the second meaningful oh. vote on march 12th oh, 154 God. that's a good guess do you want to all guess it was a guess whoever gets the closest i'm gonna say 120 And Anne wins. It was 152. Ooh, so very off. good. You see, I've got a short-term memory. Very good. It's just the rest that's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Which three MPs were knocked out of the Tory leadership race in the first round, having failed to meet the threshold to progress? Oh, uh, Malthouse. Oh, no, they pulled out. Sorry, you're right. Esther McVeigh. Esther McVeigh. Um, uh, Ledsam. Yeah. Sam Gima. No, he, he pulled, pulled out. out. Uh, Let's um, McVeigh. Who was the other one? Who was the other one? Uh, oh, um, God, this is painful. Mark Harper. Yes. Yes. Well done. Well done <laughs> point, point for you on that one, Rachel. You got two of them. Question number three: How much did Chris Grayling's No Deal Brexit ferry fiasco oh. cost taxpayers? Oh, I, I, I wrote I wrote a story million. on this, so I should know, but I can't remember. I want to I say, say 100 million. million. I want to say 100 million. 121? 50 million. Something like 50 million. I'm going to go 50. 50, 100. I'm going to go for 91. 91. <laughs> uh, Rachel, you're closest. Oh, wow. It's 80, around 85 million, so 50 million to She's terminate the contract. The <laughs> this then, never happens. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 50 million to terminate the ferry contracts and 33 million in a legal settlement with Eurotunnel for cutting them out of the contracting process. Um, there we go. 
Uh, question number four. What are the three names the new centrist party, currently led by Anna Soubry, has held since its formation in February? <laughs> and bonus points for Gavin Shuka's new outfit as well. So the independent group. Change UK. Change UK. And was the, the other one the, the, the Change? The Change... Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I can't remember the third one. The change you don't believe in. Yes. Um, uh, the change something. You change if you want to. Change group. Ch- 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 change. Yeah. Oh, what's the? Thing? I can't remember. Changing all the time. <laughs> I tell you what, you deserve a prize if you can remember that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's the independent group, Change UK, the independent group, and the final one is the independent group for change. For oh, yeah. change. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Independent group for change. Is that what they're now called? That's what they're now called. Oh my god. And Gavin god. Shuka's uh, breakaway, not a part. Collective oh, of the independent. Yeah, it's just the independents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Final oh. question. Um, in April this year, British soldiers in Afghanistan found themselves in hot water uh, for something involving Westminster politics. For what firing and shooting at an effigy of Jeremy Corbyn. Yes. I think one of them did. Correct. Them. I don't think he got court martialed in the end. I can't remember. I think I think they got a slap on the wrist. Yeah, it wasn't a court martial, I think. Uh-uh. Well, I think it's a draw between Rachel and Paul on the quiz, and Annan got one. You're in last place. Thank you. That's uh, good. Some things never change. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we've got time for until September. So we're just going to leave you with the best bit of Theresa May's final speech as Prime Minister uh, as she stood alongside her husband, Philip, in Downing Street. I want to thank my husband, Philip, who's been my greatest supporter and my closest companion. That wasn't me. <laughs> I think the answer to that is I think not. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.